Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 277th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that delves deeply into the darkest dungeons to dig for your dollars. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Glad to be here and looking forward to... Sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, it's a lovely summer week in uh, northern New York State, southern Ontario. Were you uh, enjoying your backyard? Uh, we were. We had our the child's first birthday party this past weekend, and it was nice and toasty. Already, uh, so already a year. Time flies. No kidding. And other than that, I'm spending a lot of time digging up weeds because I own way too much freaking property. Uh, <laughs> Is the little dude stumbling around in the backyard at this point? Mm, he's not... We let him in the back, but he can't stand. He can't walk yet. Is he kiting? Kiting? That's where they like hold onto tables to like steady themselves oh. and practice walking. Yeah, I I didn't know that was a term, but yes, constantly. Got it. So yeah, he'll be constantly. walking shortly then. Yes, he's taken. I I think he took his first step the other day. It depends on the the definition of a step, but he uh, he's getting too close. He has taken the climbing the stairs in our house, uh, and it is an old home, and those are a full flight of hardwood stairs, and so we have to be very careful now. Yes. <laughs> he's he's going to get a couple stairs up while we're not looking, and that's going to be a rough fall. We have hipster industrial looking living room, and it was never baby safe in the way that it totally should have been. <laughs> Fortunately, Alara didn't seem to be interested in getting into too much trouble. <sighs> It does seem like um, you, you can't you can't fully baby proof. I mean, you can you you basically pick off the low hanging fruit, but to a certain point, you just accept that you have to just watch your child, and occasionally there will be things that they might do that are slightly dangerous. But yeah, I, you, kill, I, you know, unless they're in a padded room, what else are you gonna do? It's crazy. She she gave me her first lecture this week, and I realized that she's halfway to being a teenager practically, and. Then I realized that my youngest sister, youngest of nine of us total, just got engaged. Like, I remember her being younger than Alara and like attending her birthday party. It's just, it's, and it feels like it was yesterday. It's so, so crazy. What were you lectured on? Uh, Alara didn't like the way that I had left something in the front hallway and was informing me as to where I should have put it. I'm, Without knowing the details, I'm probably on her side. I mean, she's probably right. Yeah, there's, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. 
My my entire living room is just blanketed in cardboard right now. It's terrible. Ugh. Uh, mine too, except it's all boxes from his toys. <laughs> um, all right. Segment one. Our top M- or Metago metagame week in review. Metago. Metago. Uh, segment two, top paper movers, along with some MTGO stuff. Segment three, our cards to watch. And segment four, topic of the week. Uh, did EDH kill the Pro Tour? And did video kill the radio star? <laughs> we will discuss both. Uh, segment one, the MTGO metagame week in review. Uh, a, a nice assortment here from the modern challenge on June 20th. I see we have some blue, red, you know, prowess and Delver builds. A, I believe, um, Golgari Yogmoth build, some Amulet Titan. There's some hammer swinging guys. We've got some Ragavan floating around in this uh, Grixis deck and in the Monkey Blade. There's even some Eldrazi. So certainly a dynamic format with, I think, some reasonable archetypes floating around too. It's not just a pile of eight combo decks, which people have complained about in the past in Modern. I mean, everybody pretty much assumed that Modern Horizons 2 was going to arrive and shake things up, and that is certainly true. It didn't necessarily displace all of the existing archetypes, but the ones it didn't displace, it made better, which thereby suppresses any of the other archetypes that are just well below their level. So Blue-Red Prowess was already discussed as the possibly the best deck in modern heading into modern horizons 2 and now that it has both expressive iteration that it recently picked recently picked up from strixhaven and then unholy heat and dragon's rage channeler uh, from modern horizons 2 the deck is that much more consistent although there does seem to be some debate going on as to whether you're supposed to be running the dragon's rage channeler monastery swift spear soul scar mage and Stormwing entity 16 creature package or in the case of the third place list in the june 20th challenge which was also the fourth place list in the june 19th challenge they were uh set up with four delver of secrets four dragons rage channeler four murktide regent uh the new delve dragon and three ragavan nimble pilferer so uh basically eschewing the um Monastery Swift Spears and Soul Scar Mages uh, in order to go over the top in the air. I wonder if that will um, will shift based on the meta, if it will kind of settle on one and and jump to another as needs dictate. I've heard various streamers that are running one version or another of this, claiming, of course, that their version is the correct one. Uh, I think the matter has yet to be settled and may may be entirely meta-dependent, right? Like, if you're playing Stormwing Entity, maybe I want a Murktide Regent to be bigger. Um, and the Blue-Red Delver deck also ran four Counterspell in the main that were absent in the Prowess build, which is kind of, which is a, a bit of a more proactive build. Um, Yogmoth cards have been doing pretty well this week on the back of the Yog- Green-Black Yogmoth combo deck, taking second uh, new Modern Horizons 2 cards there include two Grist and four Ignoble Hierarch. Uh, Amulet Titan has picked up Abundant Harvest, the uh, Telegraph card from Strixhaven Mystical Archives, and is of course running four Urza's Saga. Uh, Saga and Ragavan are, and Dragon's Rage Channeler have to be the 
the MH2 cards with the highest penetration so far. Um, yeah, and I, there's. It seems I would ju- I would say that it seems very unlikely that Ragavan would get banned. Um, a red one drop I feel like has to be really exception like to an extent that we have basically not seen with a creature got that I since I've been playing Magic essentially. Uh, where a red one drop is too good. Uh, Urza Saga, on the other hand, we have seen plenty of lands be too much of a problem just by virtue of the fact that it's a lot easier to play that. So if I had to pick my what I thought might be the closest to getting the axe, it would be Urza Saga, even if Ragavan sees a little bit more play. And if they decided Ragavan was too prevalent, they might even go for something else that tends to support him rather than the monkey himself. So that's that's my read on all of that. I put Ragavan's chances of getting banned at zero. It's yeah. uh, overpowered for its casting cost. Like people used to be excited about Savannah Lions just being a two one for one. Mm-hmm. Ragavan does a lot more than that. And now that I've played with him, because I've got about twenty five modern matches under my belt this week on Magic Online, which is the first time I've done that in quite some time. Uh, running a Insoul artifact build that squeezes four Ragavan in. Uh, Ragavan on the first or second turn tends to be uh, a fairly decent predictor of whether I'm going to have a shot to win that game. And my deck is already bad in a format full of fantastic synergy decks. (laughs) So I do need all the help I can get. And Ragavan, with having almost no other synergy in the deck, other than that I can take the treasure that he drops and and ensoul it on the next turn if I want to, um, still pulls his weight. And I'm not surprised at all, having played with the cards, seeing it pop up in four or five very disparate archetypes. Um, Urza Saga is even more overpowered than Ragavan and does some truly silly things. Uh, In the deck I'm running, I'm doing the power conduit combo where basically you just keep removing the second or third um, Saga counter so that you can reset it every turn and it never goes away. So you you ba- and and the funny thing about that is you can you can take the you can take the counter off the saga and put it on one of your uh, affinity creatures, right? Or you can put it on a ragavan and make him a three two instead of a two one. Okay, so I have a question. What is what is the purpose for keeping the Urza Saga in play? Because you can because otherwise on the third uh, saga counter it goes away and goes and tutors yes. up the, the one drop, right? But a lot of the yes. time, especially in pre-sideboarded games, you might not care about the one drop very much. Like for me, I'm going to get an Arcbound Worker or a Dark Steel Relic. In other decks, you might be going, good decks, you might be going to get an Underworld Cookbook or something. Um, now, in post-sideboarded games, you may be in a rush to get the Saga to go off, uh, but in, in which case you can... Uh, go the other direction and find ways to put extra counters on on the saga. The because maybe you want to go get a graph digger's cage or something that's going to destroy the graveyard or whatever. A pithing needle against Teferi. Well, I mean, is is the second ability on ability on the saga where you're adding the um, or creating the token that yeah. relevant? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it's very relevant. That's that's what makes the card so good. Uh, gotcha. It's not that it's not the searching up, although that the searching up is is also great. It's the combination of all of the above. It taps for mana the turn it comes into play, so it doesn't even come into play tapped. You could easily have justified this land coming into play tapped, but it doesn't. 
So taps are colorless. First turn, second turn, you can start making tokens. And if you're in an artifact deck, that's making three threes, four fours, five fives. And often I'll just not do anything with the rest of my hand once the saw goes out on turn two or three. I'll just make the token, and then when the third the third uh, saga trigger goes on the stack and it's about to sack itself, you do it again so that you've got a a three three and a three three or a four four and a four four, and you got that out of one land and tapping two other lands twice. So for five mana, you made two four fours, and then you went and searched up something else, which could be, uh, uh, in my case, a Bowmat Courier, Arcbound Worker, uh, uh, Zabaz, the Glimmer Wasp. Yeah. And another other decks, okay. you've got other options. So, yeah, Saga is OP. Um, doesn't seem to be dominating the top eight, but it does, I think it is... I don't know. It doesn't really feel like Hogak, where Hogak defined the entire format format because of the power level of the deck, and you had there were only a very small handful of decks that could go toe to toe. The it feels more like modern is growing closer and closer to legacy as time goes on, a topic that we've uh, discussed before, and it's leaving cards at a slightly lower power level behind, and. You know your car, your dark confidants from ten years ago just can't aren't gonna aren't gonna find a home in this format given everything else that's going on. Where you've got ragavans and death shadows on and dragon rage talent channelers on one and ignoble and noble hierarchs. And if your one drop doesn't do anything, doesn't fit into your synergistic pl- game plan, then you're every by turn three or four you're probably dead because you're just so far behind on synergy count. It's funny you say that because while we have not seen it really happen, uh, Dark Confidant almost becomes more relevant, possibly more relevant as the format evolves because as the average converted monocost drops, his ability, the value of his ability increases because you take less and less damage. Um, in any case, yeah, I mean, Ragavan and Urza are going to have different impacts. Ragavan could have more slots in a top eight, essentially, and yet still be at less of a risk because it might not warp the format as much as Hogak did, whereas Urza Saga just ends up fitting in so many decks, and even though it doesn't feel like it's as powerful as Ragavan, it's just like there's just so much of this that we've just, you know, they decide it's not healthy. Good see it. Um, I see uh, the Eldrazi Tron deck there. It's got the four main deck Chalice, right? Four uh, Karn and, again, the four Urza Saga uh, so interesting to see that popping back up again. Yeah, I mean, so, as you said, the format is getting leaner and leaner. So many one drops, right? And and also some decks run a lot of zero drops. So the chalice can do some serious work. Also, so seeing like a resurgence of engineer explosives because it can take care of most of the threats in the meta right now for a relatively small amount of mana. Yeah, EE and chalice, man, also seem like their stock is going to be going up. I mean, Ragavan's going to change the math on some of that stuff for sure. I mean, it's it's not even just Ragavan because there's between the blue red Jeskai Monkey Blade, white red Prowess, and various flavors of green decks that lean on the two kinds of hierarch to accelerate so that they can get get something bigger going on out in front of the 
aggro on onslaught there's just tons of good one drops tons of good one drops so if you can wipe away one drops you're you're doing very well usually on turn two or turn three because otherwise you probably have three prowess creatures swinging with multiple instants on the stack and you're taking like anywhere from eight to twelve damage yeah you gotta i gotta wonder where all the pyroclasms are here well, I mean, the, prob- uh, the problem with that is they can sometimes they use mutagenic growth or whatever to pull themselves out of range. Like if they can get off anything, they can pump the the power, the toughness of the prowess creatures up above two. So yeah, you need if anger of the gods or wraths or whatever. But I I, I play in all the matches I played this week. I, I haven't seen very many wrath style effects, even from the blue white control list, because there's just no time for that. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about Pyroclasm is that it's two. Uh, but yeah, Wrath Effects being at four is another story. Even Anger at three. I mean, um, I guess Anger at three wouldn't even stop the mutagenic growth, is the problem on a prowess creature. Because if they mutagenic growth, it goes to four toughness. Well, and here's the thing like Amulet Titan, already a fantastic deck, also in the conversation for best deck in the format heading into MH2 only got even better because they picked up Abundant Harvest and Strixhaven and people have access to more copies out of MH2 and then they're running the full four Urza Sagas and they can use the Sagas to go get the amulets. So even if after post-sideboarding you've got Artifact Hate and you're blowing up their first amulet, turn three or four they're going to probably get a Saga off and go get the amulet back. And you usually don't have a chance if Prime Time has an amulet in play so them being able to tutor them up in this deck is not fair (laughs) and then of course even in decks like hammer time you have four urza saga so i mean you've got amulet titan hammer time you've got uh the food decks because the sixth place deck in the modern challenge on the 20th was grixis hell's kitchen Four Asmo, three Emery, three Ragavan, three Thought Monitor, three Urza, two Mox Amber, and it won the Modern Challenge on the 19th. So back-to-back top eights with uh, three total appearances. There was a blue-black Hell's Kitchen list in sixth on the on the 19th. Um, so yeah, Urza Saga is all over the place. Urza himself, the actual legendary card from Modern Horizons 1, is features in the Grixis Hell's Kitchen deck as well, because the Urza, when Urza comes into play, he puts one of the same tokens that Urza Saga does into play that counts up all your artifacts, so they have nice synergy all the way around. And of course, the food decks are trying to drop a ton of food tokens into play so that's going to make their urza saga tokens generally bigger than most of the other tokens that you're going to get out of other decks <laughs> it's uh there's a lot going on in there across the various all this uh artifact nonsense with urza and his saga i mean the, the um the, the only deck here that is relatively untouched is eldrazi tron but because they're colorless they they still run the full Urza Saga. I mean, basically, if you're in two colors or less, you have to strongly consider why you wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, that Eldrazi Tron list. Scroll back down the seventh. Uh, I mean, you've got, yeah, the four chalices and the four expedition maps right off. Well, the expedition maps get sacked. 
But the four chalices. I mean, you 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 only have the four chalices and some Karn. Karn's on artifact. Well, in, in this, I mean, it's laid on artifacts. In, honestly, in this particular list, actually, they don't have the saga. But I, I've oh, I've, pl- I've played <laughs> I've played against multiple versions of of this list this week that did. Gotcha. Uh, and they are you are you're right. They are lighter on artifacts, but they can also use the map to go get the saga. True. Over in the Modern Challenge on June 19th, we have this interesting deck popping up. The Velomachus Turns uses Velomachus Lorehold, the misplaced Harry Potter character, to cast a bunch of Time time Walk effects, including Time Warp, Save of the Moment. Um, I think there was one or two others in there, too. Uh, Big fan of seeing Save of the Moment, since I have a bunch of those from some other time-taking turn deck from God knows where, what point in history. Uh, th- this is this is a fun-looking deck. If I was playing Modern, I feel like this is probably close to what I'd be doing. Use Indomitable Creativity to to cheat the Velomachus into play. I just, I love the cheat, and this is a, this has got a lot of that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, because you have to get a Dwarven Mine token onto the battlefield, or a... I guess Prismari Command can cough up a treasure token. And then you destroy X target artifacts or creatures. And then for each permanent, controller reveals a top card of his or her library until an artifact or creature card is revealed and exiles that card. Players put the exiled cards on the battlefield. So you, the only creature in your deck is Velimachus Lorehold. And you don't have any artifacts proper. So you've got this polymorph situation going on. And you go get Velimachus, and then Velimachus says it's a 5-5 Flying Vigilance Haste. And when it attacks, which is going to happen right away, you look at the top seven cards of your library, and you can cast an instant or sorcery spell. So the idea is that there is only actually eight uh, time warp effects, but that's all you need when you're looking at seven cards at a time. And a 5-5 Dragon can put the, the, the game away with only, even if they were at 20, which they weren't because it's modern, so they're probably at 15 by the time you get going. And you just got to hit with Velimachus three times, which is statistically probably pretty likely if they don't kill it on contact and they're t- and or they're tapped out. Yeah, keep in mind that it only has the four dwarven mines, but it's a mountain. So your four wooded foothills and your four scalding tarns all fetch it. Yeah, good point. So you've got a lot because I, I I was like, hmm, do they only have the eight sources? But that's what it is. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of reach and. The Planeswalkers look a little weird at first glance, but they both fulfill pretty key functions here. Ren and Six can come, can bring back a land, including either the Dwarven Mine itself or one of the cards that can fetch it up. And Teferi shuts down their ability to, to interact at instant speed on your turn. So if you have a Teferi in play and you manage to pull Velomachus into play, you're probably just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're not allowed to cast, so... Yeah, I mean, you and you've got four man, four bull. The Prismari command lets you mess with them. So you've got you've got sort of minimal interaction, but a fun looking deck regardless. Uh, some green red Ponza here stuck in in seventh place too. Gotta love that. With uh, they've got three Furies main deck. That's the Modern Horizons two incarnation that. Flame Tongue Kabu's on Battlefield Entry. Uh, a Gorilla Shaman. Some Vintage Tech. Uh, Obsidian Charmaw, which is also from Modern Horizons. And I bet nobody knows what that one is. It's the 5 mana 4-4 Dragon 
costs one less for each land your opponents control that produce colorless. So uh, possibly could be a two mana 4-4 four, four flyer and ETB destroys a non-basic. So if your opponent has an Urza Saga in play, uh, that is both making your Charma cheaper and it's going to get blown up when he comes into play or something else will get blown up. So uh, that's fun. Yeah, he's got plenty plenty moves. of good targets these days. Yeah, can't imagine it's hurting. Um, some some good old pillage in there. The pillage is cute, hitting artifacts, which seems uh, especially relevant these days. We've got some of the hybrid land cards, Eternal Timber Symbiosis and the Shatter Skull Smashing. Um, the liquid metal coating for fun, what? just to make your pillages better, I guess. Well, no, no, no. The no, two no, 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 no. Oh, two Trinisphere is so good. No, 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 no. Liquid metal coating is game over when you for, have Karn the Great Creator in play. Karn, because yeah. it turns your lands into artifacts, and then Karn turns them into creatures that are zero zeros and they die. Right. Well, and it turns them off immediately too. Or well, well it turns yeah. them off if they're artifact lands, which I learned the hard way. I'm at like five lands in play, Darksteel Citadel, uh, Silver Bluff uh, Bridge, and Power Depot, I think is the other new one that's an artifact land. And they just Sounds about they right. just drop a Karn and turn, turn off all my mana instantly. I was like, oh yeah, 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 this is a bad yep. matchup. Liquid Metal Coating plus Karn is like obviously like powerful and good. Liquid metal coating and pillage is funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> like to go through all that work just to pillage something is is great. Yeah. You use the artifact uh, destruction side of it instead of the land destruction side. Yeah, like in a pinch, it just makes it just gives you the ability to just pillage something. Like it, it's you you don't want to have to do that, but I love that you can. Well, and the liquid and the tr- the is so good too. Well, and the liquid metal coating with gorilla shaman, right? Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, that it, it does. It's got some uh, some work in there for sure. And they're running a shatter skull smashing and two tin turn, turn timber symbiosis. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely don't give up on those Zendikar Rising lands in modern yet. They still pop up here and there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, some fun stuff across the board here in modern for the most part. Now worth worth highlighting that the Hell's Kitchen decks, the food decks, uh, seem to be posted up as if not. Tier 1, certainly Tier 1.5. You can make the argument that they are the flavor of the week, as it were, but I've watched enough of them in, in motion now to see that they are pretty tough to shut down, even if you're going off against artifacts like the Ponza deck is. I mean, Ponza in 7th here, not in 1st. The artifact heavy food deck in 1st. So the, the food decks are to be taken seriously. They are an amalgamation of some very powerful cards and synergies. And, uh, you know, Jeskai Monkey Blade is kind of an adaptation of previous concepts. You know, you can staple almost anything to a Stoneforge Mystic Package. And it's not quite a brand new archetype unto itself. But the Hell's Kitchen decks are very much new to modern. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Asmo has been doing a lot more than I would have expected. I don't know about you, but I thought it was going to be um, not necessary. I'm like, I'm like, this might see play, right? Like maybe, but I certainly did not expect it to come out of the gate the way that it has. Anybody who thought about it as something that would go into madness decks as opposed to being in food decks just had it wrong. 
And in part, that's because they didn't realize the synergies with the Underworld cookbook, which is, you know, built to work together well. And then the the whole thing with the Oval Chase Daredevils being able to be discarded to the Underworld cookbook to constantly be generating free food tokens really makes the uh, Urza Sagas do amazing work in the mid to late game because they, the, the creatures come out of them as 6-6s, six, 7-7s, sevens, sevens, etc. Mm, yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool what it manages so to do. So modern still fun, even though I've spent most of my week getting my ass kicked. Uh, it's been a good way to survey the landscape, and there are a lot of powerful things going on. Now, yeah. let's see. take a look at some of the effects of that, because it has certainly been... You know, most of the last 12 months has very much been about EDH cards. But Modern Horizons 2 doing a pretty good job of reinvigorating the singles market for modern cards alongside the slow reopening of gaming stores across North America. Uh, Start off with Mystic Gate here out of Double Masters, just regular pack foils. So this is the kind of stuff that people were you know, throwing aside as near bulk when they were cracking their VIP packs last August. And we see Mystic Gate going from 12 to 20 on the back of blue-white modern play. And I think there's just some general double masters targeting going on as people realize that that stuff dried up a little faster than they were expecting. Yes. Yeah, double masters, it's kind of taking its time to get there a little bit. Um, But, you know, you've heard me talk about it a couple times. You and I both have talked about it a little bit. Um, But some of these other premium sets that we've kind of sort of forgotten about are definitely starting to make some moves. Malakir Rebirth out of Zendikar Rising. Non-foils going from 2 to 350. And foils made a move as well. Uh, Orzov Esper Yorion Stoneblade decks run some copies of this in Modern. It's also in 12,000 EDH rec decks. That one snuck up it was always in the top 15 cards from the set pretty much from the very beginning but was largely dismissed on the basis of being an uncommon that showed up in collector booster packs at much too high of a rate but what we're seeing is the top two or three uncommons even at the foil drop rates we're getting within a year they tend to pop off yeah which which makes sense i mean if they're really good in edh or competitive, I mean, which, and if we're talking about the top two or three uncommons, then that, that makes sense. There's actually quite a few uncommons in the list this week. Um, but first we got Spire Bluff Canal out of Kaladesh, 16 to $28. Anybody who went in deep on canals and has had them sitting in the bad specs box for a while, time to dig those puppies out. This <laughs> I I have a play set of Russian foils for sale on TCG Player uh so i am excited that those might sell now the blue red pro s deck all day every day runs four of these because it's the colors they need on the turns they need it yep so uh unlikely to see reduced demand and i also don't see any products coming out this year that are likely to reprint this cycle of lands uh yeah i don't remember what else we have in the slate we've just got D D in the next set i don't think they're going to put them there and the names are very specific to Kaladesh, so you can't just yeah. throw them on a random plane. Yeah, I mean, and really, if you go back and look, how often do they reprint lands that aren't fetches? Well, it's it's, it's interesting you say that. rare these days. It's interesting you say that, because fetches have gotten three printings in the last year. Yeah. 
between Modern Horizons 2, the Zendikar Expeditions, and the Secret Lair, Ultimate Secret Lair, in the summer of 2020. And while they've been dicking around dealing with all dealing with all of that and giving us the pathways for the second time in the second Ultimate Secret Lair, there's a bunch of land cycles <laughs> that are now behind uh, on a reprint and in need of one including these Kaladesh lands. And the more cycles they give us, the harder it is for them to find slots. Because even if you crank your product mix up another 25% per year, which is about probably the max they could even remotely hope to you see, watch the market absorb properly without cannibalizing too harshly between products, you, you know, as, as that card pool gets bigger and bigger, it gets harder and harder to stay on top of reprints, which is why we're in a situation where they're giving us more reprints per month than they ever have. And it still doesn't feel like enough because they're out, they're outpacing the need. So definitely take a look at selling off some canals. Uh, A lot of people probably got in on those at six to $8 or something like that. Uh, Well in position for a win. Gear per Aether Grid, I saw pop up in some of the food decks. Um, they get all those food tokens to play, and then they can tap two of them to do a damage to something. Close out the game, clear out some threats. Foils went from four to eight as a result. Uh, that's also uh, that's Origins card, but uh, positioned on the plane of Kaladesh, I believe. Uh, yes, yeah, Gear per, yeah. Uh, squee out of Mercadian masks, 10 to 20 for a nice double up, but uh, I, I mean, I don't feel like we're seeing a lot of him in modern here. Uh, or, I mean, I haven't checked Legacy in the last two or three weeks, but I, I can't imagine it's huge there. You got any better ideas, or are we think of this is just old rare? Asmo as a commander can fool around with Squee. Uh, Chainer Nightmare Adept just got a reprint into Modern Horizons 2. Would also be interested in fooling around with Squee. Uh, Corvold, Fae Cursed King, I suppose. And there is like, uh, there is a dredge deck uh, that sometimes makes you, like, there are builds of dredge decks in, in like Penny Dreadful or whatever that can fool around with a, a Squee Goblin Naba. Um, Grave Tartanet. Grave Titan out of the secret layers that are just, I think, six months old or so, doubling from 10 to 20, yet another win for the secret layers. And yet I still see Reddit and social media posts constantly where people are uh, spouting off about how secret layers are bad investments. (laughs) You just keep telling people that, please, because the less people that know that they are actually very solid investments, the better. Um. Yeah, which is, I mean, like, I haven't been too hot in them personally. Like, I have bought a couple, but not that much. But, I mean, we've kind of been on the read that it's good. Like, they're good, right? Like, uh, the, maj- the majority of them have done well fin- uh, financially. It is the majority. And sometimes the gains are relatively modest, depending on your timing and how quickly you want to turn over. Um if you're in a position where you gotta you want to roll your money over every six weeks, then I don't think Secret Layer is for you. But if you're on a more like six to sixteen month kind of horizon, then I think they're fantastic. And you also tend to end up with bonuses, right? Like you get the arena codes that you can sell off for three or four or five dollars. You get the whatever the bonus card is. Like I think they with the Secret Layer that's uh, on deck right now, where we have the. Um, uh, the talismans? 
I, I, <laughs> I'm sure I don't let remember. Me, <laughs> let me just bring that up because I was just looking at that a second ago. Um, I want to say talismans by signets, not talismans. Uh, oh, but, yes, but, yes, but yes. With yes. The, oh, with the new, like, Dan Fraser yeah, art Dan, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, Dan Fraser art. Those are very cool. We'll, we'll, we'll dip into these in a minute, but bot- bottom line, the the less of these that of any one of these that people buy tends to lead to you, whoever did buy them making money faster. <laughs> um, but even in the cases where they were expected to be and analyzed to be very high print rates, like 20,000, 30,000 units kind of thing. Um, the fact that they are only available in a very narrow window of opportunity, even when they extended it from a few days to a month, it's still not very long. And the bottom line is there's no wholesale price, as we've talked about before, for the vendors. So the vendors ha- are often off put by that because their margin isn't built in and guaranteed, which is scary to them uh, compared to their usual model. And a lot of players just overlook it at the time and figure out they want specific singles later. And they sell well. They, they, they sell well. So, uh, Dark Slick Shores out of Zeneca Rising Expeditions, one of the least exciting of all of the expeditions doubled up this week. 15 to 30, there's like nine listings left on TCG Player or something. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that the, the blue-black food deck is probably running Dark Slick Shores. Let me just double check that. I mean, even without looking at that, the we you know, we could just be looking at people going back to some of the other older expeditions and starting to pick up copies if there's been a bit of attrition yeah. here and there. Yeah, I was right. Four Dark Slick Shores in the blue black version of the food deck. It's unclear whether the blue black version is the version or not, because uh there seems to be uh arguments for Grixis based on the version that finished first on on the nineteenth. But okay. but any of these expeditions that people just leave lying around. If you see a spike in play, they're gonna they're gonna add EV to those collector booster boxes and set and draft booster boxes from last fall that everybody was like, oh, there's too many of them. Yeah, except a year out, a bunch of the cards that you thought didn't contribute to your bottom line actually do. Um, <laughs> and we're gonna see more of that on this list as we go up here. Uh, Lord of Atlantis 7th edition going from 5 to $11. Modern Merfolk kicked my ass a few times this week. I, I think it's still pretty squarely a tier 2 or tier 2.5 deck, but it's going to be out there. People will be playing it. Oh, yeah, I would imagine it's good at jumping on people in random challenges and leagues, but probably doesn't have the staying power to to battle at the top regularly. Um... I mean, they can... Acorn Catapult? Yeah, Acorn Catapult out of Commander, and it's only ever appeared other than that in the list. So you're talking about eight years ago, single printing, all of a sudden squirrels are a thing, so it went from eight to 18, 125% gains. Temple Garden, original foils out of Ravnica, 50 to 110, so somewhere, probably arguably somewhere between 90 and 130, depending on who you're talking to. Very first printing of the uh, Shocks, and there's never going to be any more of them. There will definitely be a old border foil set of them shoved down our throat at some point here. Oh yeah, yeah. There is no question. <laughs> the only question is, will will it happen this year? Because <laughs> that that's about the only question about whether whether it, you know it will happen. I, it's just I, I could see them doing something like Ravnica remastered. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and they take all of the Ravnica blocks and jam them into a single set. Yeah. That could happen. Yeah. Yeah, that would definitely be something they would do. And then they, and along the lines of Time Spiral Remastered. And then they give us a bunch of old border shocks in there, and that anchors the set value. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And so, Jarelf's Messenger, of course, is a key part of the Yogmoth deck that finished uh, second here. And Messenger is popped right off. 12 to $30 or so for those. People must have some of those in the bad spec box from back down the road. And or sitting around in their modern collection, and that's just free money right now. If you can get anything over, you know, twenty dollar a messenger, you're laughing. Yeah, he uh, he was a pretty awesome card back when he was freshly printed, um, and that hasn't changed. Well, he's been dormant for a long time now, but uh, this Yagmoth deck has really pushed the envelope. And it's a cool deck. I mean, Draws Messenger. I don't know. Feels like it's probably a touch behind the curve. As I was, I was looking at that list the Yawgmoth list, it seemed like it was maybe a touch outdated, but maybe, or I shouldn't say outdated, but a touch below the power level of the rest of the format, but maybe uh, Messenger here has a has a future. Violent outburst out of uh, Alara Reborn, just non-foils we're talking about of this common. Uh, it is a common, right? Violent outburst? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, $2 to $5. Uh, certainly if you can get a playset out of those anywhere over 12 bucks, you're laughing again. Um, so go ahead and do that. I, I've seen it show up in Living End decks, and I've also seen it uh, in people that were trying to fool around with the Crashing Rhinos type builds. Yeah, I had... Um, oh, I, I apparently bought the wrong one of these because I bought Monstrous Carabids. A pile of those in foil that never really moved, uh, but Violent Outburst has apparently been the the one to get there. Um, I, I I would sell them if I had them. I wouldn't be trying to sit on these too much. Not that I think they're necessarily going to get reprinted, but it might be easy for Living End to fall out of favor again, and then these just languish. So I would just be happy to take the money and move on with my life, I think. Goto Bandit Warlord, another double masters foil that people probably didn't think too much about if they pulled it out of their VIP packs last year. Going from ten to twenty-six dollars, it's only in about fifty-five hundred EDH rec decks, which is a respectable number, nothing too exciting. Um, but does fit very well into anything that is fooling around with equipment strategies in that format. And uh, again, double masters adding random EV uh, here and there is a, a sub theme for the week for sure yeah yeah that's a nice uh nice tech on goto is a cool card again a touch outdated not quite the weight of some of the new equipment cards but still um sufficient if you're in those colors after goto we've got the foil souls attendant from rise of eldrazi way back in the day 6 to 18 for a triple up it's an 80 8600 edh rec deck so pretty popular there and um, has been, you know, shows up in the Soul Sisters decks when they when they pop up. Not a major player. I mean, we didn't talk about it at all this week. Um, and I don't recall it from last week, but it might have been there. But, you know, we're talking about Rise of Eldrazi. That's, uh, that's a ways away at this point. So um, inventory is a light when you get down that far. And has, was this, was this reprinted much? No. The re Mystery Booster Retail Edition foils, but that's it. So that's really... What's going on here is that it's just so old without any real foil reprints. It does a lot of work. 
in Aloro and other life gain themed EDH decks where you can punish your opponents for gaining life and they have to play creatures into it and they don't want to waste removal on it. Oh yeah, this card is uh, is obnoxious. <laughs> Street Wraith out of Time Spiral Remastered up uh, 200% from a dollar to three dollars. Buy lists are still pretty tame, but definitely keep an eye on those because the food decks have been running Street Wraiths and if a bunch of people are going to build the food decks they're building you know it's not like something like affinity or eldrazi tron that people might have sitting around from a couple of years ago the food decks are a brand new animal so anybody who's looking to play that in paper has to buy most of it from scratch and they may not have had any reason to own straight street rates before and so street wraith could easily be a real nice solid buy list exit sometime this summer uh, if the food decks maintain momentum and paper play picks up. So if you were cracking Time Spiral Remastered, or like me, cracking a bunch of Russian Time Spiral Remastered, you might have Russian Foil Street Race to sell. Boy, I should get on that. Um, definitely keep an eye on it. And yet more on the uncommon front. Like basically our top three gainers this week are all uncommons. Cauldron Familiar, up a dollar to three fifty off the food decks. And then Mishra's Bauble is all over the place in Modern, and that was just reprinted in Double Masters, and yet the Cold Snap version is up from like $12 to $36, and that was the most expensive one to begin with. The Double Masters version is up from $8 to $20 plus, um, and the Double Masters foils went from $10 to mid-20s. So great time to be selling some Mishra's Baubles and recouping some of the uh, EV that might have been absent from those particular cards when you were cracking double masters last fall. Do you remember when Mishra's Bobble was like a $70 yep. non-foil? Mm-hmm. That was, those were the days. But it just goes to show like people, people were tweeting in September about how things like Bobble would never be expensive again. <laughs> nice try. Whoops. Uh, just goes to show, like, even at the current rates of the drop rates for uncommon foils and just uncommons in general, if a, if a deck comes to the forefront and it needs four of a card and a lot of the people might not have had the shell before, it can move some cardboard. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's what you, definitely what you're seeing with these uncommons here is just people need to buy the cards to play it because it's not stuff they had floating around. And you've got, you know, a fair number of people moving in on them in a short period of time, and that's what you end up with. So, top Magic Online movers of the week, Lurus of the Dream Den, out of Ikoria, all over the place in Standard, Pioneer, Modern. You only usually ever need one, but you need them in a whole bunch of different shells across multiple formats. So, it went from 7.19 ticks to 10.39, 44% gains. Velomachus Lorehold, no big surprise, uh, had a jump off that success, double success in the modern top eight this weekend. 6.25 tickets to 9.83 for 57% gains. Faceless Haven is a card we haven't talked much about. It's a creature land that activate turns into a 4-3, I believe, attacker uh, off three snow permanents. Usually it doesn't cross our radar because it's mostly a standard card. It shows up in multiple standard shells. Went from 0.65 ticks to 1.34, 100% plus gains. And then Castle Garenbrig, uh, top winner out of Eldraine, 0.56 ticks to 1.25. I saw plenty of it in the Amulet Titan builds in Modern this week, and it's also all over the place in standard in the mono green shells. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Castle Garenbrig was one of our uh, one of the ones we liked quite a bit from, from that set. 
uh, Thrunderbolt Drain that wasn't Oko. <laughs> I just buy listed uh, 48 copies of Garen Brig that were picked up at a dollar a piece, and the offer on Card Kingdom for it was. I don't know if it changed after I submitted my order. It is four dollars and twenty cents cash, five forty-six credit. Jeez. So a quintuple, if you're going into credit. That's uh, not too bad. Yep. 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 Not too bad. All right. So moving right along to our cards to watch, uh, I got some cheaty face stuff that just we, we were just talking about but it's too cheap in europe still so i'll kick my i'll throw both of my first two in the same basket collagen familiar foils are about two bucks in europe and by that i mean they're less than a dollar but you got to factor in shipping and find vendors with multiple copies or throw them into carts when you're already buying other stuff it's just basically your straight straight up arbitrage play collagen familiar often sees uh, significant play in the food decks, but there is a chance that the the winning f- food build that becomes a standard will get rid of the witches ovens and familiars and center on the uh, the other builds that use Urza and some other cards. That said, it's already in 2500 EDH rec decks, so hard to go too far astray. Um, certainly, at minimum, if you want these for your own deck, go ahead and and pick, snap them off in Europe. Malakir Rebirth is very much the same thing. You can get these for about a dollar in Europe, and they're already a few, like four or five dollars on TCG Player. It sees a reasonable amount of modern play right now, and it's in twelve thousand EDH rec decks. So snap these off for a dollar. I'm willing to bet you're going to get a chance to buy list the foils at two or three bucks in the next year or two. Yeah, I mean if you're paying, you know, two dollars for them. Uh, for these foils and these food decks are looking tasty. <laughs> uh, I mean that that works really well. I mean both of these really. I mean anytime you're buying from you, anything you're putting on here from the EU is like basically already done by the time we talk about it. Like not done. It's it's already a good choice. So there's just sure does work. <laughs> I, I want to make clear because I always make fun of people when they try to like buy dollar specs and turn them into three dollar specs that. If if you're all you're doing is selling them one at a time on eBay, this is not my my game. If I'm buying these, I'm doing it for one of two reasons. Either I'm a TCG direct seller or something where selling cheap cards is going to work out relatively well. Uh, ship twenty copies off to TCG player and let them do the work, or you're going to sell play sets of say Cauldrons Familiar on eBay or something, or uh, you're planning on buy listing. And if none of those work for you, or for instance, as in my case, I'm not going to leap too hard at these because I only get my packages from Europe usually once every two, maybe three months, whereas some other people get them every week. So if you're on the week plan, you know, you might want to be on Cauldron Familiar this month, but you might not want to wait till the end of the summer to see if the demand still lingers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have to have the proper turnaround time for this to work, um, which is why sometimes I don't necessarily chase this. If they're EDH stuff, it's less of a problem. But when that's not the case, you know, if it's a competitive staple, you have to be able to move a little faster. And I mean, we do give people a hard time about that sometimes. Uh, I, I feel the same way that like, it's not necessarily a problem. You just have to know what your out is going to be. And if you think that it's going to be 
like you said, one of on TCG player for EDH, that's a pretty obnoxious. But on these Biolus plays, that's not a bad way to go. All right, tell me about your first selection this week. Uh, well, I have been browsing a variety of premium products, and one of the ones that caught my attention as being uh, a spicy option is uh, Cauldron, or I'm sorry, <laughs> yours. I'm picking yours. Uh, Terramorphic Expanse, the Commander Legends foils, uh, extended art foils. Uh, Commander Terramorphic Expanse is in 140,000 EDA direct decks. So a couple people play this card. Um, pretty popular. It's down to only 250 for the extended art foils. Like $2 with free shipping. Um you know, realistically, probably 250 if you're buying one ofs off of TCG players low. And there's only about 50 vendors with copies, 51 right now. There's no walls either. Like, I think one guy has two play sets, and that's about it. So we're, you know, Commander Legends was uh, a little while ago, but not that long ago. I think we're probably getting real close to the floor on some of that stuff um that you know the some of that stuff probably already bottomed out a little while ago and it started to climb um and some of the other stuff that might have had slightly deeper inventory like terramorphic expanse which is a common took a little bit longer but we i don't see this really getting any cheaper at a dollar fifty or so to two fifty um and for a card with such a pervasive demand uh, the nice thing about something like this is, you know, when we talk about EDH cards, a lot of times you kind of figure people are going to buy one, right? Like, oh, I'm going to buy a nice Lightning Greaves for my equipment deck, um, and I'm going to pay $200 for it. Well, with Terramorphic Expanse, if you go to buy a copy of this, and you're like, oh, these extended art foils are $250, I have one of these in seven EDH decks. Sure, let's fire them all off, and you can end up selling more than four to an EDH player because they need one for so many decks and they're cheap enough that they'll do it. So if you're grabbing these extended art foils at 250, I think you hang out probably a year-ish and I bet by next summer they're close to 10 bucks, if not more. Yeah, I think this one's just a matter of time. Like some people will look at this and go, oh, it's marked as a common. So that's it, it shouldn't be worth anything. But they got to remember that the uncommons and common uh, foil extended arts in the Commander Legends packs are the same rarity. And yes, the foil extended arts from Commander Legends tend to curl like crazy. So that obviously will put some people off. But Commander Legends cards are still selling. And they will continue to sell. And... People that really care about the curl will fix it, and some people just won't care at all, and they'll just run it in their deck anyway. Some people live in high humidity situations where they're never even going to notice the curl, um, or it'll self-correct. So, yeah, this, this, this will be fine given enough time. I don't know if it's three months, six months, 12 months, but yeah, it, it will eventually be a $10 card. Now, the, the truth... The, I was just, the truth of the matter on the curling thing is that they, they curl and that's obnoxious. Uh, and I have a feeling that a lot of people don't care. I think it's much more of a social media problem than it is a people buying magic cards problem. I mean, it, it, it definitely turns into a people buying magic cards problem if they try to put it in their deck and like the deck pops up and you can see which card it is. Like that definitely bothers people. Now, it's a correctable problem. And I, I have never had 
a foil extended art from Commander Legends returned, in part because I store mine properly. Like, when mine came out of packs, they went straight into triple sleeving inside hard cases, so they, they can't curl and, and won't until they get where they're going. But uh, certainly worth considering. Um, tell me about this next one. Yeah, my other one is Zulaport Cutthroat Time Spiral Remastered Foils. And I had to double back and check last year's spreadsheet, but we had not picked Zulaport Cutthroat at all. Uh, that might have been year four, not year five. Time Spiral Remastered, I was looking all over those cards today because I think that's another set like Commander Legends that's got a couple months on it now. Uh, the hype train is fully moved past it. And but those cards did not get any any less rare. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of floating down a little bit. You see a lot of cards uh, where the market value on TCG Player is a little bit above the cheapest listed price, which to me signals a downward slope in um, price trends. Basically, the last sold copy or the last couple sold copies were more than what you pay for it today. Um, Zulaport Cutthroat is still there. The market price on TCG is about $30, $28. And the cheapest copy that I that it's available right now is $25 for the Time Spiral Remastered Foils. However, it's getting pretty close. And thanks to TCG Player's updated interface and this handy new feature that tells you the recent sales of the card, which is a very fascinating uh, Super handy. I was glad to see that. Yeah, that's. I feel like there's there's a there's a lot to dissect there, or at the very least, lots of ways to dissect using that information. But just for the moment, uh, I've seen two two foil copies of the sell to twenty five dollars in the last two days. So people are buying the uh, the foil copies of this at that price point, which is reassuring so we may be just about at the floor i can't imagine even if you're not at the floor i don't think it's much cheaper than 25 dollars we got to be close because zulaport cutthroat was in 40,000 edh rec decks uh it's a hugely popular card one of the most popular black cards in the format and also makes its way into competitive formats uh we saw earlier as a one of in the uh the food deck um i it shows up in I, I played in, against it this week in Abzan uh, uh, Return to the Ranks. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's not necessarily a four of in the way that like other stuff is, but it still sees some competitive play and it's all ultra popular in EDH and it's legal in Pioneer, a format that like I know we, we don't really talk about a lot at the moment, but it, it, that is relevant or could be relevant in the future. So I think you're getting in it pretty close to the floor on Zillaport Cutthroats right now at $25 for these foils. And, you know, you could be seeing 50, 60, 75 dollars, probably about a yearish down the road, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, but I definitely like how these look on a longer time frame. And just for my own edification, there are 39 listings on TCG. And uh, of course, there are no cell walls. Now, this is where I'm supposed to step in and say, oh, but wait, there's a secret layer drop that's going to get in the way, as people love to say, except the secret layer drop came out several months ago and you can get copies of the zendikar rising showcase style zulaport cutthroat from the secret layer in and around 12 bucks or so but there's one wall at 19 copies another at eight at 13 dollars and then you're headed up north of 15 and there's only 15 listings total so i think you can make arguments to go either way on these 
spend twice as much for the ones that are twice as fancy or go for the ones that uh, arguably have better art but a worse border. I, I don't think you can make a mistake in, in either direction. This just goes to show that you can take a card that, if it's popular enough, you can print two premium copies in the same year and they will both still be worth money. Yeah, and I will say that I think I definitely prefer the um, the Times Spiral Remastered one. Uh, and I think probably the, the, the Secret Layer one isn't is decent, but I think the Times Spiral Remastered one is cooler. Those borders from that Secret Layer sort of are iffy. People were not hot on those. All right, so let me tell you some things that I snapped off on TCG Player during the race to the bottom when inventory got uh, listed last overnight on Thursday last week and into Friday and Saturday based on what I was seeing going on in Modern. Ragavans at 40 bucks. Current price on Ragavans 71 or so. <laughs> so, there were got a pile of those. Then I went ahead and snapped off Scalding Scalding Tarn retro frames, 12 of them at 110 each. Yeah, those so I've been watching those closely. Like every a couple times a day, I've been refreshing the price points on those. So uh, so far, they one ten was about the cheapest, and in fact, they are right now as of recording one ten. Um, they were up around one thirty, one thirty five, and bouncing around back and forth around there. I ended up picking, I think, two copies up at one thirty, just because the price had hit like the one ten, and then it was cl- climbed up kind of quickly so it's like okay i'm gonna grab two copies no like, no no, no. Right you're, you're looking right. at the non-foils the foils are at 135 squarely right now oh this reset my stupid filter okay but thank you for but clarifying there is a, it reset but my filter. there is a good story in in the price point that you're referencing non-foils are at 110 <laughs> why did that happen i'll explain that to you dear listener that happened because you can't get the non-foils in collector booster boxes. And the highest EV to cost ratio of any of the three products, set, draft, or collector booster boxes heading into the opening weekend and also during pre-order season was from the collector booster boxes. So the majority of the mass cracking operations focused on collector booster boxes most of the major vendors focused on the collector booster boxes because they had such ridiculous EV. It was an easy way for them to make money on pre-orders. And, but unlike in other collector booster box scenarios, there is no non-foil version of the fetches in Old Border available in those boxes. Instead, you have the etched versions of those fetches, which uh, are twice as common as the Old Border foils. And which most many of the players that I've seen at least discussing on social media seem to have great disdain for as a clearly inferior version. But the non-foil versions have a lot going for them because if you're playing competitive magic and you're looking to you know build blue-red prowess because your LGS is opening back up for play this summer, then you probably want non-foil turns. Now, that's not always true. I have seen plenty of modern players foil out their decks, but I think, by and large, the average player is going to skew more towards non-foil than foil, as compared to, say, an EDH player where it's less of an issue. 
um, since you don't have to deal with judges. And as a result, the non-foil fetches got targeted real hard. I think it was either Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon and just rocketed up through the, the price ceiling and met the price I paid for foil versions. Now, the thing is, the non-foils are... Not only are they not present in the collector boosters, but they're actually very hard to find in the in the draft and set booster boxes. You have to open a lot of boxes to find the one you're looking for. And so I think what's going to happen here is that the non-foil to foil ratio is going to stay very trim until the foils dry up because collector booster boxes stop being cracked over, say, the next two months or so. And then six months out, you'll see the gap widen again. It's entirely possible that the non-foils could stay pretty high. I don't know if they can hold over 100, but they can certainly hold over 60, over 80. Um, and maybe they're they're just stuck where they are and they're going to head slowly, steadily north from here. The foils, now that we have all the information and we've seen what opening weekend looked like, here's my current prediction on foil Old Border Scalding Turns. I think they are probably 100 pushing 250 to 300 inside 16 months. Now, that's not my pick. The pick I think might actually be better is the foil extended art sculpting turn because it, this product wasn't confusing enough. So they took the versions of the fet they took the fetch lands which everybody wanted premium versions of and Instead of just giving you one, they gave us three. They gave us the etch, the the foil uh, old border, otherwise known as retro, and then they also gave us the extended art. Now they could have just given us the extended art, and the set still would have been a slam dunk because foil extended art fetches is still red hot. But they are the second best bell of the ball here, and you can currently get the foil extended art. Scalding Tarns, for instance, about $60, 60 to 65 depending on where you're buying them in North America. Uh, I have a feeling that those are going to go 60 to 120 pretty easily, and here's why. The Foil Extended Art Tarns and the Old Border Retro Foil Tarns share a slot in the CBs. So they're, we're pretty sure that they are roughly equal in population within the collector booster boxes. But you cannot get the foil extended art versions in any other product. You can only get them in the collector booster boxes. So currently you've got old border foil tarns at 135 or so, and these are more than half, uh, sorry, less than half the price. I don't think that can hold. These are still very handsome looking cards. There are gonna be plenty of players that wanna play with them. If people started in on extended art, cards and are looking to make their deck all look samey samey they might want these instead of the old borders and the listings aren't that deep you've only got 48 listings currently biggest wall is nine copies at 65 and then everybody else is mostly onesie twosie now this is going to fill in some more over the next month or two so you can you can try to wait you can hope that they're going to drift down towards 50, maybe 45, but they could just as easily go in the other direction depending on how, how much stuff gets cracked and posted to TCG in the next little while. If you're interested, you definitely want to be, as Travis said earlier, checking the prices a couple times per day so you can keep on top of it. But give this 12 to 16 months, I think 60 to 120 is very easy. That seems quite reasonable. Um, and if memory serves, 
these are yeah these because the extended arts are only in the collector boosters while the retro frames are in everything well old bo- the foil retro frames are in everything the non-foils are only in draft and set boosters uh right yes the retro frame fetch lands foil and non-foil are in draft and set collectors boosters don't have the regulars they have the foil or etched foil so etched foil would be a very good play if anyone liked them but they don't seem to be those seem to be relatively unpopular uh but the yeah the extended art rares being only in collectors boosters do do make these interesting um and i think i i'm inclined to say that the old border versions of these are going to be more i want the old border versions to be more popular than the extended arts i don't know if that's the case i just say that like from personal preference the extended arts might actually end up being more widely popular. There's a lot of new players in Magic, and they don't have the same feelings about old borders that we yep, do. Yep, that's true. Uh, and at the very least, if these extended art foils are sixty-ish right now, uh, and I, in fact, I could buy one at fifty-eight oh five, and then there's a couple around sixty, and then it starts to climb back up. Supplies a little deeper on these, like right down here. I see one nine copies at sixty five, um, so a little bit more inventory on these. But that's because all the collectors boosters just got cracked. Th- that's you know essentially half the price of the old border foils right now. And and I, and I caught this as I was doing some research and keeping my eye on stuff. Is that those f- regular the foil retro fetches? So basically, the the what I would consider the coolest looking one, the retro frames with the normal foiling, are in all the product, which means they're granted the majority of product was already opened, um, but there will still be a steady stream of those relative to these, where it's just the collectors boosters, which is going to dry up so much faster. It does seem like the extended art foils are in pretty good position to catch up at least catch up to the old borders, if not possibly surpass them. The other thing to keep in mind is that the etched foil scalding turns are currently sitting at about the same price. I think between the two, I prefer the extended arts because they don't have any stigma attached to them. But if if extended art, say, catapulted forward to 100 in the next month or sometime this summer, I would the next very next mouse click is going to be checking what etched is at because once the extended arts and and foil old borders are squarely in new price brackets like say old border foil tarns are 200 plus and the extended arts are 100 plus if the etched is sitting around at 52 i'm gonna get an itchy finger to at least try it and see if they will sell because honestly in sleeves yeah they're the third best option but they're still fine like they're not good they're not great but they're fine they're still a premium looking tarn and people will run it. I I think the problem there is that that seems like one of those types of things that's almost a a sleeper pick. It could like, be a sleeper pick. It but but I, I mean that in the sense that it's the type of thing that somebody does a TikTok on and goes, Oh, here's a good way to save some money. 
you know, buy the the much cheaper etched foil and put it in a sleeve and you can barely tell. But it's not like most people aren't going to go out there and buy them like with that plan. They're just going to, to, to know that the etch foil look worse and not bother. Like, I just, I don't think it will drive enough buyer behavior that they, it can make up for it being unpopular, even if there is a way to play them that you can't really tell. So far, the only etch cards I've touched were scandalously underpriced, like things like Yavimaya foil etched for 14 in Japan or whatever. Um, silly things. But otherwise, I'm mostly staying clear because it seems like... You know, go after the retro foils at 110, go after the extended arts at 55 or 60, and you're probably going to do just fine. Um, I also, the only other thing I went after was, uh, on the weekend, was Shardless Agent Retro Frame Foils around $4, $4 to four fifty. Um, it's not actually apparent that Shardless Agent is going to earn its slot in Modern for now. You'll notice that none of the top eight decks were running Shardless. So I bought... 12 copies or something. I'm not going to go any deeper until I, I see it post up inconsistently in results. I mean, that first weekend, first week or two was pretty impressive with how popular it was, but I agree it has cooled significantly. Um, time will tell, I suppose, how that ends up playing the, out. The, uh, the shardless Rhino decks are still out there, but I think people have realized they're definitely not tier one. So most of the streamers that are testing have moved off of them to, you know, top five decks to try to position themselves. Gotcha. So I, I could see them becoming coming back, but it might take some time for people to get there. All right. Uh, so got a listener pick here. I this see. one's pretty juicy as another EU arbitrage thing. If you're picking up some Cauldron Familiars and Malachi or Rebirths, you can may as well fill up your cart with some other stuff. This is just an example of several cards from uh, that are EDH-focused from Modern Horizons 2 that are too cheap in Europe in their premium form. Mirari's Wake Borderless Foils. Um, great art. Best art the card's ever had. Uh, 22,000 EDH rec decks. It's the sexiest version. Currently $25 or so on TCG Player, but you can get them in Europe around 14 Sebastian A in our Discord has the sell target on these at 40 from 14 within 12 months. I don't know if it's 9 months or 16 months, but somewhere in that range he's going to be right, I think. Well, if we're talking about 25 bucks on TCG Player and they're 14 over there, then, I mean, sure. They're doing your work, doing your work for you in that regard. Yeah, I mean, they could slide on TCG, but this is a mythic foil borderless. Now, it's worth noting that it's not an extended art, because extended arts, again, can only be found in the collector boosters. The foil borderless cards can definitely be found in the draft and set boosters, but at a relatively low drop rate. So you will see these trickle into the market throughout the year, but I suspect that for a card like this with demand this high, demand will outpace supply within three months and start marching upward. Yeah, it's not going to be the type of thing that you see move, that you see get dumped into the economy, basically. All right, so we're going to move on to our topic of the week. I guess the first off, we should probably touch base on the secret layer, since that was announced after our last recording. Um, I've already gone off about it in our Discord, but I don't think we've had a chance to talk about it on cast. So, they 
have announced the all-natural, totally refreshing Super Drop. And it has... How many different bundles here? Uh, I ranked them, so there are seven. There is a Phyrexian Praetors bundle, which is the... Uh, Elish Norn that annoys everybody because it's too close to the Judge Foil, and then the other four Praetors. I ranked this as my top selection out of the whole bunch because you can get the foil uh, bundle, the foil version of this for I think $39.99, and then it's even cheaper in the bundle. Um, pretty easy to make money on foil Elish Norns. Even if you just assumed you were buying just the Elish Norn for $40, you're probably going to make money. Uh, let's take a look. Of course, the Secret Layer website is messed up and won't load the photos for me. Um, hmm. Then, so you're saying the foil Phyrexian one is your pick. I think it's the one that's the, the easiest money, because I think the Elish Norn by herself is going to outpace $40 given any amount of time. And then you've got Vorinclex, Shieldred, as rock solid EDH cards that see plenty of play, and then Gingitaxis and uh, Urabrask, I believe is the other one, also see a modicum of play in EDH, and all of them being in the Phyrexian border means that I think there's a higher chance than normal of people just wanting to acquire them after the fact as a set, and them selling pretty well uh, in that way. So... Hard to see how this goes wrong. I mean, you're basically getting each of them for seven or eight bucks, right? And there's probably a bonus card in there. Yeah, I got, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I would just flip through all of them. And Sheldred and Urbrask are floating around 10 or 12. The cheapest Elish Norn is like 30. Uh, same with... Jenga Taxis is around 30. Voice of Hunger is a $45 card. I mean, and you're paying 40 bucks for all five in foil. Yeah, that's pretty Foil gross. Phyrexian. And you get the, this is one of the only ones that if you buy it alone, you get the single use code for Phyrexian Praetor card styles on Arena. Because they didn't, they've been more chintzy lately with the, um, giving out the, magic online codes and i think if you get the whole bundle you get the praetor code if you get the praetors you get the praetor code but some of the other uh releases here don't include it now my second pick was the artist series mark pool uh because that one also seems like pretty much an auto win uh it includes some pretty key cards from his back catalog including counterspell uh and bird of birds of paradise and Howling Mine. And then the Wasteland is his version of Library of Alexandria. I think a painting he did for purposes that I've forgotten. I can't remember if it was Magic Online art or it was a giant card that was available at a tournament at some point. Um, but the Wasteland shows the library destroyed on it. And then it's got pretty solid art for Balance and Brainstorm. Now, overall, I'm not a huge fan of Mark Poole. I don't... I don't consider myself uh, somebody who appreciates his art. Uh, I think it's a, a step down from most of what gets produced for Magic these days, but hard to argue that the uh, 
uh, iconic status of Birds of Paradise, Counterspell, and Howling Mind, especially with Counterspell freshly legal and modern, is not going to make this one a win. Yeah, I'm mildly lukewarm on the Mark Pool one. Um, the. You just dial back to it again. Like Wasteland, I mean, I see $30 copies out of EMA. One. The Zeneca Rising Expedition is 30, $30, $35, and looks pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, the Wasteland Anchor is pretty hard here, same way as Elish does in the other one. Yeah, I mean, my, I guess my problem is I think these other cards are less interesting. Like, nobody wants balance. Howling Mine is not going to be that valuable. The counter spell is going to be whatever. Like, again, that artwork is only famous for the people who have been playing forever. Newer players aren't going to be drawn to it in the same way. Brainstorm just doesn't carry, like, the, you know, it used to, back when, like, the Mercadian Masks foils were, like, one of the only foils that was a big deal, but now I feel like we've gotten it several times. The Birds is fine, and again, for the enfranchised player, uh, the original Birds art and foil is pretty cool, yep. but now, I mean, a lot of people don't care. Uh, let me put it this way. You probably only care about that art if you knew that it was originally for Volcanic Island. By the way, the art was originally for Volcanic Island, uh, but the bird was so prevalent and the island so out of focus that they changed the artwork. Um, that said, every every bird of paradise is eleven dollars. Well, and like non-foil. And, and here's the other thing: if you don't if you don't believe in in birds uh, of paradise as a secret layer product, it's already been a secret layer product. The birds of paradise, one of the early ones, had the fine art versions of the birds. And that art, oh, and that yeah, art is quite yeah. lovely, but the lowest price on that currently is sixteen dollars for bucks. the birds, and it goes ramps real yeah. quick to twenty plus. So, can wasteland foil wasteland and foil birds of paradise justify a forty dollar drop that also comes with some kind of bonus? <laughs> yeah, it, it it totally can. You you know what's worth pointing out here is uh, set aside the quality of these secret layers. People are the people just spent hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars on Modern Horizon stuff, right? If every one of those collector's boosters was, what are they, four hundred bucks? I think was the market price, or four fifty or something. Um, and they were buying set boosters and draft boosters, and like they just cracked them this weekend, most likely. And now you suddenly have all these ticket layers. People may not be rushing out to buy these. And if they are, they might only buy one instead of like trying to kind of spec on it. Like the time, the timing on this entire drop compared to Modern Horizons, a relatively pricey set, just may have caught a lot of people tapped out, which means that if it might be easier to go deep on this, if you're able to, knowing that, you know, the market probably is not going to be able to absorb as much of this now as they'd like to. Forgotten Realms releases on July 23rd, which is the same day this sale ends. Four weeks from now. That's the same day this ends. So that week when people are pre-ordering a bunch of D&D Forgotten Realms stuff and spending a bunch of money, that's going to subtract some people that could have spent money in on this. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's bookended, really, like, oh, you just dumped all this money on Modern Horizons and this is starting. And by the time this is closing, the Dungeons & Dragons stuff is hitting. Yeah. Now, the, um, so my, boy, this other one, 
Uh, what to the Fiona Staples one? Yeah, that's my that was my third ranked one. Yeah, I mean metallic mimics are ten dollars, ten and fifteen for foils. Spell quellers are not that expensive, fifteen for foils. And this is a you know yeah, the Soul Scar and Sakura Tribe Elder. The Sakura Tribe Elder might be decent just because that's really popular in EDH. And while the non foils are pretty cheap. There's actually, uh, how many of these are in foil? There's like very few foil copies of this card. Wasn't it in Conspiracy or something? God, this is so many pretty names. The Conspiracy foils are eight bucks. So here's the thing. God, there are a lot of pretty names of this card that are not in So here's foil. the thing. Fiona Stables is a real big deal in the comics, indie comics world because uh, she's the artist on Saga, which is one of the biggest new comics of the last decade. The, I don't think her art translates specifically well in Screams, Fiona Staples for the Elder, the Scar- Soul Scar Mage, and the Spell, Squel- Spell Queller. But as you said, Sakura Tribe Elder is very popular in EDH. Soul Scar Mage is very popular in Modern right now. Metallic Mimic is a great casual in EDH card. And then I think the real anchor here is the Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which is the, the oh, yeah. thirstiest art on a magic card in <laughs> some time. I- I was build. I was building to the to the comment on the dryad. Yeah, if you thought that he was naked and sexy in the in the first version, uh, in the original art, he is now the uh, this. You know, you can see the hip bones. He's ripped, but he's got that longing in his eyes that makes you want to fix him. Uh, yeah. This is this is. They sat down and they said, "Will you draw us a card that Tumblr will yeah. like?" <laughs> and they got you can't it. see his boots but they're come fuck me boots for sure the yeah. so anyway this is that that card's going to anchor because dryad is is all over the place in amulet tight and it's a fantastic edh card it's it's the total package it's an s tier card um yeah the, so at 40 dollars for this i mean right now extended art dryad foils are 75 yeah. and this is 40 for the set yeah now the dryad has to carry more more weight on this but it's a really powerful card which which this gets into that weird scenario where you look at this and you go this overall isn't as good as like the frexian one so i'm gonna buy four of the frexian ones and none of this one which is how you end up with so few of those dryads in the market well and keep in mind that the dryad is beautiful because you do need four of them in in modern often and it's a core tribe elder plays a lot of copies too. And well, I'm running Soul Scar Mage, you need four copies of that as well, usually. So the it's it's got so, a solid anchor in the dryad, the rest of it's pretty pretty good. And then, then you're just gonna have Fiona Staples fans that are gonna buy it because she's associated. So that made my top three for sure. And then my fourth one is the Dan Fraser Signets. So the story here that people need to understand if they're not familiar with the the vintage days is that Fraser did the art for the Moxes. And he also did... uh, I had it in my notes. um, Yeah, he he did... No, it was just the Moxen. So five of the Power Nine are by this artist. So now they brought him back to do Signets, which are very, very popular in EDH. Now, typically not super expensive, but this is the this is the masterpiece invention version of the Signets. And the art is going to be iconic in the sense that it relates. And there was also a bit of a leak because one of the marketing promo banners that they put out on one of the websites, I think it was Ultra Pros or something, 
showed off all five of the pieces stuck together. So like the, the like basically oh. like his mm-hmm. moxen all made into one thing. And the, the, the guesswork is that that's going to be Arcane Signet is going to be the bonus card here. So you're getting all five Signets plus Arcane Signet, which is a mega hit S tier mana rock that basically goes in every single EDH deck. Now, the tricky part is you can't just get regular old border foils. It's regular or foil etched. That's such... But, but what is the foil etched? Who freaking knows? Because it's different every set. Well, and if you look at the artwork that they've prepped, and they, they mention foil effect simulated. So this is not necessarily what it looks like. Yeah, they, they write that on all But of on them. The, the version here, it looks like the border is etched, but the art is not. And if that's true, I think these will be very, very popular. Now, if it's not true, if they have the bad etching from Modern Horizons 2, where the art is obscured by the etched effect, then it will be, which is entirely possible, because it was probably, a lot of it was probably made just in this in the same factory around the same time. Um, they'll be less popular. There will be some people that say, turn their nose up to the etched thing top to bottom and say, ah, if they're etched, I don't want it. And if you're one of those people, or you believe that that's going to be the majority, then I would suggest you just look at the regular versions because they will also sell just fine personally i think i will use this as an experiment i think the signets are sexy enough even if they're mh2 etched and especially if they have the arcane signet that i think you can roll the dice on those and be doing okay i i think either i think you still probably buy the the foil etched even if it's the most obnoxious version yeah. of it simply because people who are buying this want it to be people who are buying most secret layers want them to be special and cool and like even if it's not your favorite foil effect, it's you know you probably want that more than you want non foil. I will say that there's a there's so much detail in his art that if the etching is over the art, it is going to be annoying because it's going to muddle the detail. That's definitely not what you want with this specific artist. <laughs> so we'll. S- you have a different read on his art than I do. Well, I'll just zoom in on like the green one. The, there's a tremendous amount of detail that's going to get like washed out. Like, look at all the all the back, the de- super hyper detailed backgrounds. Like all of that. Uh, the the background has fine line yeah. work. I mean, but but that's uh, exactly what the frankly, edge stuff I, messes with, right? I feel like I've seen more intricate artwork on Klug altars than I have the his. I've never been a fan of Dan Fraser. I. I it's, it's not bad, it's just sort of... I, I don't love this art, but it's got a really good touch point with connecting you know, Magic 30 years ago to Magic today. And Agreed. and, and it's going to be popular. So, yes. now yeah, what yeah. it doesn't have is a card that is commonly accepted as a $30 card. So that's why I didn't put these yeah. above the other three that do have that. Um, and then moving right along, we've got a Jen Bartell guest artist inclusion i think this one is kind of weird it's weird to me that when they've got fraser doing the signets and fiona staples of all people doing a drop that they would also pull in another uh artist alongside especially since there's also a rebecca gway uh or a gay release i'm not sure how to pronounce her last name 
Um, I'm going to say Gwe, but I don't know if yeah, that's I correct. Yeah, I say Gwe, typically. So the Gen Bartel has Archaeomancer, very unexciting art. Mess Enchantress, same thing. Meteor Golem's pretty cool, just because it's a female robot version of the card. Um, you can make arguments that Mess Enchantress might have additional demand, given all the cool Enchantress tools that they gave us in MH2. But the anchor here is the Bloom Tender. The pro- and obviously a foil Bloom Tender should do pretty well. But I don't love the other cards that are available in this pack, and I don't love the art on the Bloom Tender. So I put this in fi- fifth priority. Now, I agree with you that the other three cards are... Right, like not gonna carry a lot, but <laughs> Bloom Tender is currently was printed in Eventide and is in Mystery Boosters, and that is it. They are forty dollars a copy for the non foils, and Eventide foils uh, are like three hundred and over three hundred dollars, basically. Now, these secret layer foils are not gonna be over three hundred dollars, but that is a major gap. Now, I expect the Eventide foils to stay where they are. That's not going to change. And I don't, uh, so the question is just like, I guess, how much is that foil bloom tender going to manage to pull off? And, you know, if you're, if you're paying, essentially paying $40 for that bloom tender now, uh, with the expectation that it doubles to 80 within a year, if they don't reprint bloom tender again, that seems viable, right? Like just a straight double up on that single card. Especially because there's nothing else in here anyone wants. Like, is it really going to sell that many copies? Especially when you have, like, the Phyrexian one that's very cool. Um, and so these others, like, again, we get we have to play this game where it's, if it's not that popular, that makes it easier for the prices to get silly. So. I I don't know. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's worth considering. There's a Rebecca Gway Mother's Day 2021 drop here. Super yeah. weird timing Ugh. to announce it during Father's Day and then leading into middle of summer, but okay. It's four different versions of Mother of Runes, one of which is the best piece of art in the entire drop. Not close. The re- I, relatively impressionistic one where the mother is like, has the child tucked in under her while she's like fighting off the world from like multiple different angles. Yeah, that was the one I figured you were talking about. That is a that's a work of art you could hang in the middle of an expensive looking living room and make zero excuses about it. Wouldn't even be flagged as as being fantasy art. Okay. Are you ready for this? Hit me. This is without a doubt the most inflammatory opinion I have ever had about magic. <laughs> okay. I have never tweeted it or said it out loud. Okay. On social media, but now seems like an appropriate time to oh, mention wow. it. With that wind-up, hit me. There is virtually no piece of magic art you should hang on your walls. Oh, I... It I, all looks bad. <laughs> like, magic art does not look good on your wall. If it's in your, like, board game room yeah. or your card game yeah, room yeah, or whatever, yeah. like fine whatever right like that's fine because that's like your space right which is totally fine but as a general piece of artwork for your home it's all bad and yes i'm including the uh lands that what's his name did yeah Mm -hmm. those also look bad take those out of your living room it doesn't look good now 
I don't, I don't even think this is one of the first pieces of artwork I have ever seen in out of a magic card that you could honest to God put on your living room wall and not be embarrassed about. Yep. We're in agreement on both of those points. I don't even I don't even think the first one is contentious in the slightest if you know the first thing about art. The, I, I I guess I just see so many people talk about like I have never ever ever read anyone say like I think all this stuff is belongs on a card and should not be on your walls like i've never seen now i'm sure someone out there thinks it apparently you do but i've just never seen it written down or something and i'll say this it's not that there are there is no magic art that you can hang on the wall i would just say that the vast majority of it is would not be worth hanging on your wall and 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 this is from someone who i don't even have a gentrified living room in the way that many people would interpret your comments like a lot of significant others might not allow you to put it there because it just clashes with everything else you've got going on which is probably very normal looking my living room is pop culture madness like i've got japanese vinyl toys like on in rows on my wall i've got a huge uh star wars tie fighter up on top of the bookcase like this is if there was any living room where you could hang magic art and have it sync with the decor this is it but that doesn't but most of magic art still wouldn't be of high enough quality to justify being hung. However, this Rebecca Gwe piece is fucking phenomenal. And could you could put it in a gallery in New York and see it go for big figures and not nobody would bat an eyelash. Yeah, and and I'm not even like like a a gog over this artwork i mean it's it's not that like i am desperately in love with it and plan on tracking down the original the trying to buy the original which i could never afford i just look at it and go oh this is like this is an artist who is beyond magic this is a this is someone whose craft is well beyond the frame of this card and they are lucky to get her to paint this and like you can see the difference in this than all the other stuff that gets made for magic. And I I like the looks of some magic cards. I think the art looks really cool on them. I think the art looks cool on the magic card. You put it on your wall and you 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 just look like a tool. <laughs> like like it's just such an infinitesimally small number of pieces of artwork that you could take off a magic card and put on your wall and you don't look like a dweeb. But it, it, this is it. In large part it's because magic art is commercial art. That's, yeah. That is yeah. meant to serve a narrative purpose under the umbrella of an overarching set of art direction that is supposed to represent a specific place, time, and culture. Yeah. And so that art is being produced to meet the needs of the art director in terms of the notes on what that card is supposed to depict. I need somebody whose brain is exploding. And that artist may, you know, in the vast majority of cases, has uh, pride in their work and love for their craft. But as we saw with the artist that got busted ripping off uh, Bolas Ugin art uh, for their work for Wizards early this year, a lot of these artists aren't being paid enough to really give it their all. You know, some of them are, you know, Seb McKinnon regularly coughs up absolutely stunner work. I have a pile of his swamps on my desk and I've looked at them three times today thinking, I need to just go buy the rest of these. Like, this is one of the best swamps ever in the game. Very few artists are capable of beating it. You could hang this on your wall if you had more a, a, a darker, more gothic theme going on in a room. It's of that quality. 
but very, very rarely is that the case. So let's get let's get back to the the, the Gwei the stuff because we still got lots I of coverage. Like, I we did, but I just want to finish my thought. I this is not a slam against the artists in general across Magic. I think most of them are very talented. Let me rephrase that. I think. Well, all of them are at least talented enough. I think some are very good. Seb McKinnon, Chippy, those are very talented artists. But like you said, there is a difference between, like, this art is just has too much, almost too much of a purpose. And even I can look at something like Barter and Blood out of Seb McKinnon or some of his other stuff. And, like, it's, and the Damnation is extremely cool on a Magic card. Still would have trouble with that in a like space in a home for an adult. The damnation probably was fine. The rest of the, the rest of his stuff, awesome on magic cards. Yeah, when you put it in your living room. Uh yes, but getting back to the point here, uh also find it very funny that they finally got Rebecca Gway to come back and do art. And they gave her two of the same card. <laughs> no, four four of the same card. Well, no, two of them are her daughter. Her daughter did two drew two of them? Yes, oh, I didn't know that. The, uh, the other one is her, uh, Aaliyah Mitchell, who is her real-life daughter. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's a nifty nifty concept, but it's still really funny that... So here's the thing. Mother of Runes is a 6 to $7 dollar card. There's no huge anchor here. I think the one with the amazing art, I will absolutely want to own. And if there's prints of it, I will buy one. But I, I ranked this uh, sixth. And then the easily the bottom of these is the D&D cartoon from the 80s themed pack which most of the people playing magic today do not remember. I barely remember it because it was not a good cartoon at the time. <laughs> and this has Commander Sphere, War of Invention, Heroes Danfall, Impact Tremors, Primal Vigor and Unbreakable Formation. Primal Vigor is the anchor here. I don't think anyone's going to give a shit about the D&D cartoon theme. And I suspect that this one is the least important of the bunch. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. I don't, I'm not wild about this one um, for essentially the same reason. And I thought maybe I just missed me. Like I'm not the our audience for this. I was just, I think probably a touch too young to have seen the D&D cartoon. Um, I mean, I, I am the audience and I just don't care. The, yeah. The, now the one thing about this though is Primal Vigor is an anchor card. It's it's only ever been in Commander 2013, and the list the list copies are forty bucks or so. The Commander 2013 copies are almost fifty. So the anchor is present, and there's no. It's not a card with forty different versions. Like even the Mother of Runes has three three times more versions available. So. I'm going to make a call I haven't made on any secret layer drop yet. I think you're just supposed to get the full bundles. I think you're just supposed to get the full bundles here. This is a uh, strong enough overall release that the discount you get will make up for any of them that don't work out the way you thought they would. Because so if you get the... F they have a, a foil bundle that's $269 instead of the default price of $319. So you're getting it for basically $270 over 320 so that's what 16 percent or something that that's a nice discount 16 percent off your bottom line fabulous now they have a super bundle called the all for you and that's one of every drop in foil and non-foil so 14 drops total one two three four yeah 14 drops total and that one is 21 percent off 
I think I'm probably leaning towards getting two of the foil bundles. I mean, two or more of the foil bundles at 16% off. But I think you can make the argument to just get the whole shebang at a full 21% off. I, I On a year plus horizon, I fail to see how you're going to go wrong here. A lot of these bundles are un- are fairly unique and don't include cards. I expect them to revisit. Like, obviously, they're doing Birds of Paradise the second time here. Birds is the kind of ubiquitous magic card that, or something like Counterspell now that it's legal and modern. They're going to give us Counterspell after Counterspell. You'll get another premium Birds in 16 months, too. But a lot of this other stuff, you know, like fancy-looking, super fancy-looking Signets, probably safe for a little while. Because when we're talking about stuff like that, we're like, well, it could show up in a secret layer. But this is the secret layer. So outside of a secret layer, I don't see anywhere they're, they're going to print those. So you can do one of every drop in foil for 270 or one of every drop in foil and one of every drop in non-foil for 444. Yeah. I, I mean, the all for you bundle is very tempting. The problem is like... I'm concerned about the drag on stuff like the Saturday morning D and D and non foil. Yeah, they, the Mark Pool non foil. I don't know. I, I I think I'm gonna sacrifice five percent and go for a bunch of foil bundles. That's how I'm feeling about it. Yeah, I mean, even that, I'm a touch concerned about. One of the nice things is that the ones, the bundles we considered the weaker half. Are, are still anchored by good cards. So on the Gen Partels, you just got, got to get rid of the Bloom Tenders. On the D&D, you just got to get rid of the Primal Vigors. Probably going to be all right. And the other thing is that you've got, if you're getting extras in all of these, hard to see how you're going to go super wrong. Hmm. You know, 16% off plus a bonus card you haven't seen yet. And we know that the Dan Fraser one is an Arcane Signet probably. Yeah, I mean. I suppose that, um, I mean, the alternative to doing the all-natural foil, the, the, the all-foil one, the all-foil bundle for 270, the alternative to that is just picking one or two and going deep. Yep. But that, the, that my, the, you know, this is where, just this is just diversification, right? Do you think you're good enough to nail the one or two that are going to be the, the clear, strong winners that run away with it? Because... I think on past secret layers, uh, the tr- the like best winners by EV have not always been the most obvious ones. True. The and here's the thing though, like if do you think Praetors? If you think Praetors is the top, if you agree with me, maybe you don't. Maybe you think it's Pool or the Staples or even Dan Fraser. Um, are they going to be? Are they going to outpace the rest? If you go deep on just the signets, are they going to beat the rest of the pack by sixteen percent to justify your divergence? And and it, that's a very good question. But also, if the Praetors really seem like the most obvious choice, but most people agree with you, <laughs> the Praetors might sell outsell the rest at three to one. And now they're actually end up being worse off because I because there's enough people who thought that was the way to go. Yeah, I mean, this does feel like a pretty good split here. That you can probably buy the foil bundle and be happy with it. Not only because you get the discount, but just the diversification is probably going to be helpful. Yeah, I 
I think the foil bonus are, are going to be rock solid here. I mean, you might only end up making 20 or 30% and you're going to have to do a little bit of work. But the nice thing about these is that, for instance, with the Praetors, you're less likely than with some other secret layer releases to need to split them up. Because again, they're, they're a set of five. So they're probably going to resell just fine inside a year, just as the bundle itself. Especially if they follow through on what I was expecting to see already this year and we didn't, with them bringing back the Phyrexian invasion time like uh, narrative, which they must be setting up for, right? Like not only are there rumors about Phyrexian invasion sets already floating around on Reddit, but they also gave us the new Vorinclex and Kaldheim. And the whole storyline there was that Vorinclex got chased off, but, you know, wasn't finished and is, is that what it was? Yeah. I could remember where that went. Yeah, yeah. Basically, their version of Zeus and uh, one of our one of the Planeswalker characters encountered Vorinclex, got in a fight, and Vorinclex ran off. That was like one of the earlier stories they posted. And so they didn't really ha- they had they didn't solve the mystery of why there was a Phyrexian on the plane. Um, which leads me to believe that we are getting Phyrexians in twenty, if not in twenty twenty one, then definitely in twenty twenty two, and that the you know, they're going to, when they drop a whole bunch of Phyrexian preview cards, people are going to go looking for fancy Phyrexians to buy. Uh, yeah, I mean, that will, I mean, you know, that's been Magic's, the way things go in this game for a long time, is uh, the reprint of something spurs people to go back and get the old stuff. Um, so anyway, that's Secret Layers. You got until July 23rd, 2021 to roll your dice, or just leave the stuff alone. There's plenty of targets with... Time Spiral, Modern Horizons, Double Masters, etc. You don't need to mess around with secret layers if you don't want to. Yeah, I mean that you don't you know, have to mess around with any of this for sure. I, I do think that it's kind of like um, worth, probably worth trying to give it a shot if you can. It just I like I like the secret layers as an alternate investment vehicle. You have your more speculative purchases with the cards, but then the secret layers have just generally been so solid that it's like it's easy, if that makes sense. Yep. I, I think for armchair speculators, kind of people that are operating on longer horizons and aren't too worried about turning over their cash flow and are okay with, you know, moderate returns. This kind of thing is hard to go wrong because the worst case scenario here, say you buy one foil bundle, you just bought some really excellent collection pieces. And if they don't work out for you in the short term because you get bored of checking the prices and you just decide to wrap them into decks or whatever, guess what? You're going to look at those 18 months down the road and be like, oh shit, my signets are worth triple what I paid for them. Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I do wonder... Um how these are going to start to look like two years, three years down the road. Cause the first secret layer now, how long ago was that? It was, it'll be two years this November, I believe. Yeah. And the first one was a little, you know, they were still working out the formulation, I guess you could say. Well, and, and keep in mind, they, they seem to be set on moving towards some kind of a subscription model. Yeah. So that too, expect that to get unveiled at some point, maybe this fall. Mm-hmm. I could see that them releasing that somewhere around Innistrad or in September. Like we've got that gap, right? Like there's there's no products on the table for August and September so far. Uh, yes. 
Like, we'll be in previews for Innistrad probably by second week of September or something. But so far as I know, there's no major release in August. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's usually a slow month, isn't it? If memory serves me. Well, they double masters was, was, uh, late July heading into August last year. Hmm. Okay. And then there's, they do like a winter, usually a late winter type of thing too. Hmm. Which, which so far doesn't seem like it's happening. Like, I don't think you're getting a commander legends type set because a, they haven't told us anything about it and B there's two Innistrad sets this fall. So doesn't seem like there's room for that. And they talked about how they moved the winter set into a Q4 slot, which leads me to believe that there is something big and exciting happening Q1 2022. Yeah, Double Masters was August 7th last year. Okay, okay. Uh, All right. Other topic of the week is did EDH kill the Pro Tour? Uh, Magic heel Matt Sperling went on a bit of a rant this past week at some point about how EDH I think his point was that EDH ruined Commander? Or EDH ruined the Pro Tour that they put all the money towards that instead. And truth be told he I think he deleted all the tweets so we don't really have them handy so we're kind of working from a, a concept here more than specific it, points. Yeah it was, it was more or less he made some tongue in cheek remarks that suggested that that professional magic suffered in the era of commander and tried to connect those two that like and i don't think he actually thinks that edh players did anything wrong like he's not a stupid person i think he he thinks that commander players made wizards a bunch of money so they shifted their focus away from the pro tour because they didn't think that the two needed to be connected um and if that is the core of his argument, then I don't think he's wrong that that happened. Um, I think it was real loose the way he presented it because it was almost carefully crafted to be inflammatory. So I just kind of tried to ignore all of that and issue comments that were meant to clarify for people what what it actually... like how the two are connected and what it actually means. I mean, the the point I made on Twitter shortly thereafter was something along the lines of the pro tour is not dead because of EDH. It's because of Twitch and YouTube. Like it doesn't matter what format magic players are excited about. If EDH didn't exist, there is still a chance that the pro tour would not be the right marketing vehicle for wizards in terms of, you know, return on investment. Because YouTube and Twitch have proven themselves to be such effective and cheap marketing vehicles and do a lot of the same work. Instead of putting on this huge physical conference and then running a professional TV show around it, you can just let a bunch of people in their underwear in their living room play arena 24-7 and organize themselves so they fill in all the schedule gaps from various places around the world. Like Sam Black comes on at like 11 p.m., knocks off around 3 a.m. And then uh, Mangushi picks up from Italy in his mid-morning, but real early in the morning our time. And then, you know, Newmont picks up at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what's happened. It's not the cultural shift in the game that injured Wizards commitment to professional magic 
It's the shift in the marketing of the game and the ease with which Wizards could achieve similar results in terms of keeping the brand front and center. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> like you know, the Pro Tour was a marketing vehicle. That's all it ever was. And obviously to us, that's not what it was. But to Wizards' bottom line, it was how do we promote the game of Magic the Gathering and this is how we're going to do it. But, you know, Twitch and... Twitch has really changed the game for marketing video games now uh, in a very dramatic way. And not just for Magic, for all sorts of brands. And Wizards clearly looked at it and said, you know, why why do we have to bother? Uh, and it's hard to argue with them. I mean, you know, you look at someone like Shroud who gets God knows how much money to stream video games. Uh, because he's such an effective marketing tool, like you can't really blame Wizards for that, right? There's a reason that Ninja was getting paid to the teeth for the last few years, right? The ridiculous sponsorships, co-branded arrangements, clothing in Walmart and whatever. Um, the nature of YouTube and Twitch and other platforms that run on algorithms and are able to silo you into a bunch of different sub segments of various cultural uh, touch points is that magic, the brand in being presented through all of those different lenses can reach out and connect with a bunch of different players that the pro tour probably never connected with. My significant other is never going to care about the pro tour she doesn't care about competitive anything. Very much a musician and an artist and barely pays attention to anything that's competitive. But will sometimes watch a Twitch streamer with me if the person has an interesting personality, a good laugh, interacts, you know, makes jokes with their people. And I think that's one of the reasons like Caleb is such a great streamer on Twitch is he's a strong magic player. Not the best of the best, but he's strong. But that's not why he's a popular streamer. He's a popular streamer because he has an engaging personality. He's a likable person. He's not a terrible person. He doesn't doesn't treat his listeners poorly. He doesn't throw hissy fits when he plays the game. Keeps it pretty chill. Plays good music. And that connects with a bunch of different people that probably never cared about the Pro Tour at all. Now, personally, I love the Pro Tour. You know, as someone who watched it, you know, paid attention to it religiously for years, wrote about it regularly for MTG Price. I wish the Pro Tour was... I love the idea of a well-funded, highly competitive Pro Tour. I want them to play... But even if it still existed, it still wouldn't be something I would want to watch right now because Wizards got into a position where they wanted to connect it to promoting Arena, right? Like, they, start, they, they thought that the way to connect the dots was... Uh, the Pro Tour is a TV show, and if it's a TV show we're going to show on Twitch, then we don't want it to promote the physical cards. What we want it to do primarily is promote our video game version that people can be running on their second screen and playing while they're watching the Pro Tour. And you and I have talked about in the past about how if they had really connected all the dots, they would have had super cool functionality that would have let you... like pull decks into arena using codes and then pay to play them for some period of time or all sorts of interesting crossover promotions they never pulled that together the 
you know, Pro Tour as an, as an, a vehicle for promoting Arena is not nearly as interesting as the for those of us that are interested in seeing the pros play top level magic, primarily what we want to see is the pros investigating a new format. You want to see them drafting the new set or playing the new modern after Modern Horizons 2 or playing Legacy once a year or whatever. That's the kind of pro tour I want to see. That's never going to align with Wizards goals again. And so I have no idea what the future of that holds. And I do feel for the people who feel like their livelihood was yanked out from under them. I also think that there's some some borderline criminal dick moves that Wizards has pulled. For, oh, man. for instance, you know, they, they <laughs> reduced the world's prize pool this year like by 75%. I'm sure they're going to lean on the COVID excuse when pressed, and but the reality is they were announcing record profits. So you, you don't need you only need to have like a slight piece of your heart still warm to realize that that's just fucking terrible, like terrible yeah. optics, not a good way to treat people. They've done a bunch of other things with the pros that were you know equally dubious, and all of that should never have happened, but. I still think Wizards is making probably the right choice to pivot in terms of what their marketing focus is. I, I hope that that the pro that the pro tour ends up self justifying itself because they figure out a way to make it super worthwhile for them, and then we get it back in a form that we would recognize. But I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I, I, I do think that there's probably a way that the pro tour makes sense. But it would require them understanding how to appropriately manage the Pro Tour and their broader goals. And I just... Like, I used to watch Pro Tour a lot back when I was more heavily invested in playing regularly and and playing semi-competitively. I mean, we did... uh, fantasy drafts for the pro tour uh every year or every pro tour it was a lot of fun because you knew the players and you kind of had an idea of the decks and you could discuss it like we were into it and now it just seems my 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 departure from carrying aside i just i don't think i think there's a a way probably to make it work but it involves a much more mature nuanced integration with their larger goals and would they have shown us no indication that they know how to do that and when you combine that with you know not only the the availability of twitch and youtube but like how they could instead be channeling money into like more content like command zone you really begin to see like, well, yeah, why would they do the Pro Tour if this if they could spend their money doing this type of thing instead? Single episode of Command Zone hits 10 to 20 times more people. It's pulling in Hollywood stars. It's kind of a no-brainer. Like, it's just, yeah. they're not comparable. Yeah, it does seem like... And, and, more, it, and more to it, the it, point, it, Wizards uh, barely has to lift a finger. Like, they have some... They have some relationship management stuff to do with Josh and Jimmy. They need to provide some support, sometimes product, sometimes marketing materials, sometimes art, licensing, and whatever. But generally speaking, they're get and, and I don't know what they pay or if they pay Command Zone. Like, I'm not privy to those details, so 
I'm not sure if there's a, you know, we pay that, we also pay you 200000 a year or whatever, but I guarantee you whatever they pay them is gets better return on investment per dollar than the Pro Tour ever did. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it pains me, it pains us to say it, but I, it does seem like that's pretty obvious. Alrighty. So where can people find you online, my friend? I am uh, typically on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-B-I-N. Uh, I am awaiting the responses from people who are very angry about my opinions about magic art. I am curious to see if that will draw actual any comments because I have had that one chambered for a long time and have resisted mentioning it, but it seemed like an appropriate time to bring it up. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Boy, take a look at the prices of Misty Rainforest and Scalding Tarn out of Modern Horizons 2 and compare those to our group buy prices that were basically half the current price. And uh, yeah, it doesn't take too long to figure out that you're supposed to be a pro trader. Yeah. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all the sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolSuffing.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 278. But you know what? I have my space heat, my little hand warmer space heater position such that I can't see the very bottom left corner of that monitor that I have the spreadsheet (laughs) open on. All right, all right. All right, you're forgiven. Uh, 277. I could have just checked the scrolled up on the intro, but I didn't think about you know. that. In any case, uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, no, we won't. Well, we won't be here next. I week. I won't be. I'm I'm on vacation next week and the week after, so Cliff will be joining you. But I will send I will send in my uh, at least one pick per week uh, to keep him on the sheet. And uh, <laughs> thank you, Cliff, in advance. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.